Hey everyone, I wanted to let you know that you are about to hear an interview that I did with the founder of Girls Night In, Alicia Ramos, and we recorded this at the YouTube space before the lockdown began. I'm telling you this because since our interview, Girls Night In recently launched a new project called Stay Home, Take Care, which provides resources for this tough time and also supports two organizations doing work on the front lines of COVID-19, Crisis Text Line and World Central Kitchen. A lot has changed in our world since this interview, so if you're interested in subscribing to Stay Home, Take Care, we'll have a link for you in the show notes. Now let's get into this interview. Welcome back to One Step, where we talk about the small steps in the process of finding our truth. We explore life's deepest questions around careers, relationships, money, creativity, and family, while also celebrating those small victories. We're breaking down the wall between who we think we should be and who we really are. This is a reminder to ourselves that change doesn't happen overnight, it happens one step at a time. I'm your host, Ingrid Nelson, and I've spent the last 10 years sharing my life and personal growth on the internet. Now it's my full-time job, and I've realized that being on a non-traditional career path is a delicate dance between reaching for my dreams and acting within my integrity. Recently on YouTube and Instagram, I've been having more conversations about non-traditional careers, whether it's about money, the fear, how to start, all of it. But I can only speak from my own personal experiences with my career. That's why today I'm talking to Alicia Ramos, who's the CEO and founder of Girls Night In, a newsletter and community reimagining how people take care. Prior to founding Girls Night In, Alicia worked in tech, serving as a product design director at Fox Media, a design lead at Nava, where she worked on healthcare.gov, And before that, she was a brand strategy consultant for Fortune 500 companies at Profit, which is a global firm. Our intention for this episode is to redefine what a leader looks like. This is really for anyone who has told themselves, I can't be a leader or an entrepreneur because I don't have what it takes. Raise your hand because I know I'm raising mine. I feel like Alicia breaks so many molds in the best way possible. So here she is. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Ingrid. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. We're going to jump right into our first question. I have really been interested in the financial circumstances in which people grow up. So Mm -hmm. the first step, what was your relationship with money growing up? Ooh, that's a really great question. I've had a, a pretty complex relationship to money throughout my life. I think growing up, so my parents are first generation immigrants. My mom is Korean. My dad is Dominican. My dad enlisted in the army. um, So we moved around a lot. My mom has always been a stay at home mom. So, you know, we, we were never running out of money, but I do remember just an overwhelming sense of anxiety around anything related to finances. Yeah, I think in one word, my relationship can be described as anxiety and a fear of um, insecurity, like financial insecurity. And yeah, it affected all parts of my life. I think when you're 
so young and you're growing up with your parents and they're feeling constrained by finances, it affects their relationship and you see that as a kid and it affects the way that you start to view money as well. I remember we were struggling or they were struggling a lot with like credit card debt and had issues with that. So when I became an adult uh, and graduated from college, that was the first time I ever signed up for a credit card. I was terrified of signing up for a credit card because I thought, oh no, the minute I sign up for a credit card, I'm going to somehow like spiral into debt and, and lose control of money. So it's been mostly riddled with anxiety, like a fear of a lack of control. I am now a control freak, I have to admit. And I think I do think a lot of that stems from not having that stability growing up. Yeah. yeah. Did your parents have like opposing values when it came to money or was it the stress around money in general? I think it was, I don't think that it was opposing values. I think being first generation immigrants, they also are, are not college educated. And I think there was a lack of financial literacy in their lives. They just didn't know any better. And I think, unfortunately, like we live in America or maybe in the world, we live in a society where it is so easy for people who are the most vulnerable to be sucked into that downward spiral of debt piling on to more debt, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they, they unfortunately like got stuck in that system. Yeah. 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 And it's hard too because I feel like our culture places a lot of judgment around debt too. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you have debt, you're a bad person. And yeah. it's like this kind of debt is okay, but this kind of debt isn't okay. Yeah. And our culture kind of like connects um, you as a person to like what kind of debt you have and that makes you like a good or bad person exactly. which is really ridiculous it's, from my point of view it is so ridiculous and that reminds me of my experience when I quit my full-time job to start girls night in so I, I actually ended up stockpiling debt because I was so afraid of using the cash that I had saved in order to quit and pursue my passion full time. I ended up using my credit card for a lot of things and essentially ended up with tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And I remember that made me spiral into just feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment and more anxiety. So yeah, I think that was an interesting turning point. Whereas like before that point, I had been very, very responsible about money, never overspent with my credit card. And really like in my career too, I've always strived to have a career that felt more financially stable. Just to go way back to college, I started as an English major because I thought I wanted to be a writer and a journalist. And then I think I just like thought about oh but my parents like I want to be in a place where I can really support them financially later on and I don't know that being a writer will put me in the best position to do that so I switched eventually to sociology we didn't really have business majors at my college but I did sociology and did took all these like business classes business adjacent classes And then eventually ended up along the way working in the tech industry as an engineer and as a designer, which felt really stable and really good. So yeah, that like chasing financial stability has been my MO for a long time. And now like ironically, (laughs) (laughs) ironically, I am this like struggle, not struggling, but I bootstrapped 
entrepreneur who had to just figure things out and had to take a lot of financial risks. So it's been a wild financial journey for me. What made you want to take that risk and make that shift from having that stability that you were really working so hard for and then you started Girls Night In? What made you want to start Girls Night In? Oh my gosh. Listening to that, I'm like, why did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. So it took me a while. I think I am a really, to my core, I, I do think I'm a risk averse person. So it took me a while to get to that point. I sent out the first newsletter after the election, shortly after the election, because I was feeling really overwhelmed and anxious and just unsure of what was happening in the world and just wanted to create something that brought joy into people's lives and a break from all the political news cycle. So I did that in early 2017. And at the time, I had a full-time job as an engineer and as a designer. I was actually working on healthcare.gov, which is a whole other thing. Yeah, after the election, I couldn't do my job anymore because all the policies were changing, the administration was changing, and our whole team kind of just hit a wall there. So I started the newsletter as a creative outlet, as a joy outlet for other people too. And I didn't start it with the intention of, oh, I'm going to turn this into a thing. I'm going to take it full time. I didn't have strategy around it at all. And it really was organic. Like the subscribership started climbing organically from like 300 subscribers to a thousand and then 10,000, then 20. And I think around the 10 or 20,000 subscriber count, I was like, oh, there's something here. That was about six months in. And I thought, oh, there's something here. It's really resonating with people. People I don't even know are emailing me saying how much the newsletter means to them. One story that I remember is my now fiance, then boyfriend's brother was on a trip out to San Francisco and he was at a dinner with his friend and his friend's new girlfriend. And she saw him texting me and looked over on his phone was like, oh, do you know Alicia Ramos? And he was like, yeah, do you know her? She was like, I read her newsletter, Girls Night In, it's so good. I think it was stories like that of people I had no connection to who were starting to discover Girls Night In and really resonating with the message that I thought, okay, I need to take myself seriously and take this potential venture seriously and then financially was really important too because at that point I had saved $20,000 in my savings account and I felt pretty good about having that financial safety net to quit and sustain myself with no income for at least six months and I would just wanted to give myself a shot like let's give this a shot if it doesn't work out and it's not revenue generating then I can always go back to working in tech but leaving my I was making $140,000, which was, to me, a significant amount. And to leave that kind of financial stability was really difficult. And it took me six months of just, like, thinking and rationalizing and having external validation and kind of just, like, financially preparing myself for that. What were the things that you were writing about in the newsletter? And why do you think it resonated with people so much? Oh, I'm trying to think back. The newsletter hasn't changed that much. The very first issue, honestly, was just things that I loved that I personally had 
either emailed or texted my friends about. Every issue we talk about smart articles or just like recommendations for your night in. And the first issue, honestly, I remember there is a picture of The Crown because The Crown, I, I had just started binge watching on Netflix. And I was like, this is a great option if you're a history nerd like me and you want to like be a couch potato. And I recommended this like pink Dutch oven. It was just like random things that were bringing me joy that I really loved. And then on the smart read side, I made sure not to talk about politics, even though it's so important to be politically engaged. But I think my assumption was, oh, our readers are already getting this information elsewhere and they're looking at this newsletter as a way to take a break from that. So it was a lot of pieces around, yeah, like how to take care of yourself. Friendships are a really big topic that we've started with and continue to be one of our bigger focus areas. So Girls Night yeah. started as a newsletter and how has it grown since then? Our main product is still a weekly newsletter. Since then, we've grown in a couple of ways. I think the main extension of the newsletter has been our community. So online and offline community. We started a book club very organically in that first year. I remember, I mean, it was just me at the beginning. So I, I posted a picture of a book called Startup by Dorisha Freer. This was in like July of um, 2017 and said, we're going to do a book club because people keep asking for one. Uh, use this hashtag, G and I reads. And people were actually participating, which was really cool virtually. And then in the comment sections, I kept seeing, oh, well, it would be really cool to meet other Girls Night In readers and have a real book club. So I was like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Email me, whoever's interested. And that first year, we ended up having book clubs in four, three or four cities, New York, D.C., Toronto, and Boston, I believe, was the other one. And these were all just volunteers, women who were really excited about what we were doing and our message. And they've stuck around uh, since then for like two plus years growing these offline communities and now we're in over 10 cities doing monthly book club gatherings which by the way is wonderful if you're an introvert like myself and you want to meet people but networking is overwhelming for you it is so nice to come together and like have a go-to topic that everyone has in common that you can talk about and that was really the magic of the early offline community. I love that. Yeah. I always <laughs> am talking about how like books are such a great way to get people together. And I've gone to different like in-person book clubs. And it really is just so helpful to have this like common anchor yeah. to talk about, especially if you're shy, if you're someone who typically, you know, spends more time alone, mm -hmm. it can feel intimidating to like go into a group of people that you don't know exactly. and then put yourself out there. But having this thing that you can commonly connect over is amazing. It's great. And I still, to this day, I think my greatest achievement is having this community of introverts and um, encouraging them to come out and like meet other people. It's, <laughs> like, it's great. Please leave. Come. <laughs> It's I know okay. that feeling really well. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm trying to tell myself, leave the yes. home, Ingrid. Well, it can be so comforting and cozy, yeah. and I love that. But it's it's so important for, like, our mental health, our emotional health, just, like, our well-being to have those new connections. Totally. Yeah. What is something that you've learned 
from the community. It could be a self-care tip or just like a life value that you've applied. That's a really great question. Overall, when I think about self-care, ultimately it comes down to time and protecting your time. That's your most precious resource. So I've had to learn this throughout the years of setting stronger boundaries for myself and what I'm okay and not okay with. I tend to be a people pleaser. I like making people happy and like giving them what they want. And my first year of running G&I said yes to everything from like, can you partner with me? Can you collaborate with me? Can you be a speaker at this event? Can you do this thing? And I said yes and ended up like overextending myself ironically. So I think learning how to say no in a in a kind and empathetic way has been the best self-care thing that I've done for myself recently. And then from our community, the fact that they are so passionate and interested in getting together offline and valuing we all internally we like to say like community care is a new self-care because it's not only about taking care of yourself but it's you know like you are taking care of yourself as an investment so you can spend that energy elsewhere hopefully like giving it to someone else in in a positive way I've really been inspired by our community who like pushes little introvert me to come out to gatherings and like opening their homes for gatherings to has been really cool. I love that. Yeah. I love the, you know, idea of saying no. I'm always saying that no is it's no period. Like that is a full sentence. Yes. You can just say no and that's yeah. okay and there are times where, you know, you don't have to explain yourself either. Exactly. And I feel like it's such a huge thing to learn especially when you're learning how to be your own boss. Too. Exactly. And I think Gender also can sometimes play into that. I think like I've been conditioned to please everyone around me and be really cognizant around towing the line between not being too bossy, but being nice. And yeah, I, and I, I struggle with that candidly still of like oh no did I use too many exclamation points in this email or too many periods at the end of sentences um no it's crazy it's how much weird. we think about this I think about my punctuation in emails too and I'm like now I'm at the point where I've gotten pretty comfortable with using periods also in my text messages too Good, yeah uh, but then I just kind of become too critical about the exclamation points. And I'm like, no, I want to use an exclamation point there. I am excited about this. There's nothing wrong with exclamation points. (laughs) (laughs) But it is interesting how punctuation is playing such a huge role in how our language is shifting and changing in this digital age. It's expressing emotion in a different way. Like there are these sub layers beneath it. Yeah. And my dream, my ultimate dream is to one day just send an email without any guilt any that just yeah. says N-O period. Yes. Sent. I love this. That yes. is the day that that happens, I will be like, I've made it, everybody. You should frame it. Print it out. Frame it. Put it on the wall as a reminder. Daily affirmation. I know. I know. No. I know. My girlfriend asked me, we were looking at neon signs um, uh-huh. that were really cool. And she was like, what would you get on a neon sign? And I was like, N-O period. She was I love like, that. She was like, oh my God, of course I am you all for this. I love that. I hope you do that. I know. It's, it's a personal dream of mine. I am wondering though, because, you know, 
Girls Night In is very community based mm-hmm. and what I do is very community based. And I'm curious like how you balance your vision as mm-hmm. a creative and as a leader with what your community wants. Because I feel like that is kind of like this dance that you have to do. You know, yeah. you're, you want to take in the feedback from people. You want to take that into consideration. And then there are things that you're thinking about that you're really into. Yeah. So how do you find that middle ground? Ooh, this is a great question. <laughs> I'm thinking about these things right now. And I think community for sure, but also managing a team, it also extends into that and making sure that I'm listening to feedback and responding in the right ways. And I struggle with this because I tend to be more of a collaborative decision maker. I'm trying to get better at making decisions actually is one of my goals for this year. And because of that, I like to bring people in to like brainstorms. Yes, I want to hear your thoughts and do you have any red flags? Let me know. But that can be a negative too because it can stall the process and progress that you're making. For me, and what our team is reflecting on right now is is really articulating our brand values and our core values. Like, what do we stand for? What do we believe in? I think we've always sort of by osmosis kind of thought, for example, we're a really empathetic team, therefore empathy is a value. But I've never taken the time to sit down by myself and with my team and with my our community actually to articulate those values. And I think that's been the missing piece for me because then once you have that mission statement and your core values, then it becomes really easy to say yes or no to things. Otherwise, yeah, you have a fire hose of feedback and great ideas and as a creative person I want to run with like anything and everything uh, which can be difficult but yeah like you have a limited amount of time and resources and I think having those values driven guidelines at the end of the day is super helpful and I'm thinking about this business-wise too it's not only about the what in terms of for example like hitting a revenue goal or like a traffic goal. It's about the how. For me personally, I don't want to grow in our community or our brand in like ways that feel like I'm compromising something about myself or our brand and what we stand for. So that's a balance too. I think it really just comes down to like what you value and articulating that. How are you thinking about that? I mean, I love that. I think that it is essential to know what your deeper core values are. And I think that when it comes to decision making, that's what ultimately steers you in one direction or the other direction. Because Mm -hmm. without it, it's like you said, you can kind of go in a hundred different directions and you kind of end up saying yes to everything. And then you end up in this place where you have to like bring it back. Like you've crossed these boundaries that you're like, "Mm, I didn't really like want to go in that direction and so then it turns into like reeling in and I've definitely been there just you know with the experience of part of my job ended up being you know sharing parts of my life Mm -hmm. online and I realized that a boundary for me was sharing my personal like there was a line for me in terms of sharing my personal life like there were things that I felt okay with but then there were things that just felt like 
I wanted them to be intimate and private and Mm -hmm. for myself. And I think that that is so essential to have that private, personal, sacred self. I love that. And to really protect that. And ultimately, you know, what that is for me is my integrity. And that is my number one core value just in my personal life, but Mm -hmm. also within my business. It is, you know, making decisions within my integrity. So that means really paying attention to what my bodily responses to something. Hmm. Um, Usually like when an opportunity comes in or like there's an idea that I'm thinking about, if I get quiet, I am having a response and my body is telling me something. And I think it's about Mm -hmm. tuning into that. And like Christina has been there when I've made decisions where other people are telling me like, yeah, go for this. And I I'm just Mm -hmm. like, there's something inside of me that's telling me, no, don't do this. I just don't feel 100% about it. And I say no. And then something happens later. And it's like, well, thank God we said no to that. Yes, 100%. Um, And I think that as you get more experience, you learn to tune into essentially that voice. Yes, your gut feel is usually correct. And I've made mistakes, too, of, of not listening to my gut. I love what you said about drawing that boundary between um, your private life and what you decide to share. I saw a really great Instagram post the other day. This woman, I think she's um, a licensed therapist named Jen Hardy, but she writes on these little like post-it notes, like one of those posts. And it said, you can be authentic and private at the same time. And I was like, yes, because I've also struggled with that in writing the newsletter because the the topics that we talk about can be very um, private, like mental health, for example, or relationships or friendships. And I've I've definitely gotten um, from my fiance in particular, like, hey, can you um, give me a heads up before you decide to write about me and our relationship? And I was just like, oh my gosh, of course, like I need to respect that boundary. That's our private life. That's like involving someone else. So I've also have been thinking about that recently. Yeah, I love that. It's so interesting. I mean, you come from, you know, a writing background. And I think with writing, you think about the story that you're telling. And if somebody else is, if you're telling someone else's story for them. But I Mm -hmm. think with like the internet, it's kind of made us forget about that value that I think a lot of writers really try to uphold. Like they think really critically about you know, the story that they're telling and if they're bringing someone else's story into it, like how Mm -hmm. they're telling it. And I think the internet has kind I know I have definitely experienced this where I'm like, oh, because it's on the internet, I've like totally just like disregarded that like somebody else's story is a part of this because we've gotten so used to seeing so much online that we're having to kind of like redetermine what our boundaries actually are. How do you, how do you navigate that? Like, is there 
a period of time that you wait if something is happening? Because I know, like, mm-hmm. for me, my rule is mm-hmm. I don't talk about anything that I'm, like, deeply in process mm-hmm. with. I think we're always in process with things. But if yeah. I'm, like, in the middle of something, I don't yes. talk about that publicly. Same. I think similarly, like, I'm in the middle of something right now and working through it with, like, a therapist and all that. And that's a, a sort of thing. And it also involves other people in my life that are really important to me. And I'm not ready to share that story. That's something that is private. Once you share it, you do, you will get like public feedback, whether positive or negative or neutral, that will affect the way you process. And so that's not that I feel like that's something that I want to do for myself. So definitely that my process otherwise with like other things has been just respecting other people's boundaries like if I ever do want to write about something happening in my my and my fiance's life or like my friend group even I will ask them for permission of like can I share this like Netflix night that we had the other day even like something small like not like a big deal it might be to them so I just make sure to ask for permission yeah I do the same thing and it's so interesting because I used to not do that and it goes back to it like being on the internet like there was mm-hmm. something about the internet that just felt like well I can just like dump everything yeah it's like the here. default yeah, yeah. like yeah. I can just put it all here and then I started realizing um no I should be <laughs> asking people like what they're actually okay with and what they're not yeah. okay with before putting you know other people out there and I should also be practicing that yeah. With myself too. There is a really have you seen this New York Times article? It was about I think the headline was like when your friends become your content and it was mm-hmm. diving deep into that phenomenon of like wanting all your friends in your Instagram posts and things like that. Yeah, and it's <laughs> almost like people become I've thought about this so much. Yes. Um I haven't read that article, but just when you talked about the idea, I'm like, oh my God, I need to read this because yes. Yeah, it's almost like people can easily turn into characters instead of real people and relationships in your life. And then that affects ultimately like your friendship or your romantic relationship or your family Mm -hmm. relationship, especially then if there's like money that's involved, it can get really tangled Mm -hmm. really quickly and so we're also in this place too where I feel myself really trying to be intentional about what I'm posting online and trying to have an awareness around why I'm posting something so I've definitely gone through periods where it's like you're looking for something externally when you should be looking inward and doing the work yourself instead of like posting something on Instagram so people like it and say nice things about you or whatever it is that you're looking for. Oh my gosh I resonate with that so much because I candidly I do respond to external validation and that's just how I have always been and I think right now specifically I'm in a period of reflection on that and I've paused posting on Instagram for the most part and I've started to develop better habits like taking photos for myself like during this New York trip I took a lot of different observations and photos that 
are beautiful. And in the past, I would have posted them immediately looking for that like. And, oh, this is such great composition, whatever. Refresh. Oh, <laughs> refresh, right. <laughs> and now it's, it's lovely because I have an album on my phone that nobody will see except for myself. It's for myself, this, like, creative expression. And I am trying to tap back into that a little bit more. You might like this book, actually. I'm reading this advanced copy of a book called The Art of Showing Up for Yourself and then The Art of Showing Up for Your Friends. So it's like a two-part book by Rachel Miller. And she talks about social media consumption and being intentional with it. And what you just shared is, is exactly what I'm working on is, okay, I want to define why do I go to Instagram? Is it to keep up with my close friends and be inspired like creatively because if so I'm following so many accounts that I shouldn't be following and so I've started to weed out accounts that don't serve that intention and then for Twitter too why am I on Twitter all the time like that's a whole other like black hole that you can easily get sucked into so yeah where your brain is like thinking in tweets and (laughs) you're like oh my god I should tweet that (laughs) and you just your thoughts come to you in tweet form and you're like wait a second and now they're doing fleets. Have yeah, you seen this? I, yeah, I just <laughs> like, saw that. I know. It's wild. It is interesting too, you know, both of us being introverts and how we've, you know, used the internet as like this way to express ourselves, which mm-hmm. I think is really yeah. amazing to have that. But there also is a line yeah. too where you realize, oh, that didn't feel so good but I also feel like there is a huge upside especially if you are someone who is introverted or you are shy the internet can be this amazing tool to communicate in a way that you may not be able to communicate otherwise 100% I mean I think that describes my journey with G and I 100% I'm so introverted I am an awkward person I um I don't like meeting in like larger groups that kind of thing and I think having that platform to communicate in a written way which is my strong suit verbal communication I definitely tend to struggle more with has been really freeing and tapping into that community and yeah I love hearing from our readers and I'm sure you love hearing from your listeners and watchers etc like that's really cool to develop those relationships through the internet the internet is really cool yeah (laughs) yeah I mean most relationships that are meaningful to me in my life now have developed because of the internet in some way that is really cool I also my fiance is gonna kill me for shit sharing this but we followed each other on twitter before we met in real life oh my gosh so, yeah so you have twitter so to think. yeah i guess so <laughs> thanks twitter to an extent you have a boundary <laughs> to an extent yeah exactly so what's it like running a business as an introvert because i think we've been talking in the community about like what it's like to be your own boss and navigating a creative or non-traditional path and I think that we have this pretty singular vision of like what a boss is like and we typically are viewing someone as like being really assertive and outgoing and that's the picture that I paint in my mind but there's so many different ways to be a leader so 
Like, how do you navigate being a leader as an introvert? I struggle with this. I have, I definitely have a lot of imposter syndrome because I don't fit that mold that you just described. I'm not a six foot tall white man who is <laughs> barking None into of us his in this cell room phone. Are. Like, I will say over the years, it's been really cool to see other modes of leadership and examples of leadership in every arena from politics to private companies. When I first started Girls Night and actually I created a list of women entrepreneurs that I really admired because they were doing things truly in their own way and one that comes to mind specifically is the owner of Rifle Paper and I'm now going to blank on her last name but her first name is Anna and I remember like I googled her and I watched a YouTube video of her and she is actually also pretty introverted and soft-spoken and yet she has built an incredible empire a huge business that's incredibly successful in her own way. I mean, they're like based in Winter Park, Florida, and they have amazing products that I love too. I saw myself seeking out those other examples of leaders that don't fit that white male mold as much, and that's given me confidence. It can be a struggle, but I think my team is so supportive, and the way I manage, I also have had to like shift and evolve it to work for me as well as our teammates. What's been the thing that you've been most proud of in terms of your leadership? Oh, <laughs> well, I so last year I went from working as a one-person company, writing the newsletter in my PJs at my desk every day to growing and hiring a team of six full-time staff. I'm really proud of myself for that. I don't know how I did it, honestly, while also continuing to run the business. It was such a steep learning curve. Everything from the boring parts of like HR and learning how to do payroll and workers' compensation to dealing with legal and accounting to the people management side of it and switching from being a solo founder, like a one-person show, to a team, especially as a creative, especially as someone who has a really strong vision and tends to be perfectionist and somewhat of a control freak sometimes. Just like learning how to let go of control and empowering the team. There's a really great article actually called Letting Go of Your Legos. That is an analogy of leadership and what it means to grow as a leader. It means, okay, you know, you've built all these skills and you've built a really cool Lego building or whatever, but once you grow your team, it's starting, it means that you need to start letting go of those things that you hold so dearly and empower other people to take that Lego piece and build their own thing with it. So I've definitely grown a lot in, in that area and still need to grow a little bit more, but I'm proud of myself for doing that last I mean, year. That's huge. <laughs> that's a huge one. I remember yeah. when that moment came for me and it's so hard to like let go of the control, especially when things are going well too you just feel that urge even more to hold on because you're like but I don't want something bad to happen yes. and that is really difficult because ultimately we're not playing this game of like outcomes we're supposed to be present in the process of it all mm -hmm. and I love that saying when you were talking about this I love the saying if you want to 
go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. I love that. I resonate with that a lot. And yeah, it's it it can be a struggle. I especially again like as a creative person with a very like singular vision, but that's the only way to to do it. Have you yeah. experienced any rejection on your path with GNI and what has that been like? Oh, yes. I have so many times. The experience that I had where I experienced rejection the most in like an intense short burst period of time was when I fundraised for the first time I raised a small amount of capital at the end of 2018 I had no idea what I was doing and venture capital is inherently male dominated 2.1 percent of VC dollars goes to women founded companies 2.1 and for women of color founders, it's like not even 1% actually. So the cards were stacked against me in a way. And I spent maybe three months talking to like 50 different people and VCs. And it was no after no, like, oh, you're too early. Oh, this is a cute idea. Good luck with it. Oh, this is a lifestyle business. Good luck with it. Girls Night In, that's cute. My wife would like this, but no. It was a lot of those conversations that made me really angry on the inside and also just like really despondent on on the outside too. What did you yeah. do with that anger? Oh, I struggle with that. I, I tend to repress anger a lot. I mean, candidly, that period of time fundraising was a darker period of time where I had just quit my job. I was working alone. I was working from home and I was continuing to write every newsletter and dealing with advertisers and partners and doing all of the things while also struggling with, okay, am I building something that's of worth? Everyone's telling me no, why am I doing this? And it was a lot of that internal dialogue of like, what am I doing? Yeah, I don't think that I processed that anger and that despair in the right ways. But now I know and have the right tools to do that. Like I probably should have been in therapy at that point. But also I didn't have money to do that. So yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so many moments in my life that I look back on and I'm just like, oh, I should have done that. But I feel like that regret signals to us that there's a change that's happened inside of us and we're not wanting to repeat that behavior in our present day lives like just even being aware that we're having a regret around something means that we wouldn't want to do that today which is huge because it means that that. growth is happening yeah I like that way of viewing regret (laughs) yeah I've been trying to reframe my relationship with regret because I feel like it's so easy to spiral around regret and like what if but I think that regret can be a huge teacher for us Mm -hmm. if we allow it to be and that's what like gets us out of that yeah crazy it means that you're wiser now (laughs) yeah that you've learned things I know and honest how do you feel about getting older (laughs) just in general because yeah I feel like there's just a lot of pressure around women in particular yeah in terms of like getting older I personally really love it but I would love to hear what you think so I turned 30 at the end of December and I didn't have 
any anxieties around that number 30 in terms of, oh no, I'm like getting old and that's a bad thing. I've seen a lot of my friends in their 30s thriving and like honestly having the best time of their lives. And it is a new period of life that I'm personally looking forward to. Like I am getting married this year. I would like a family. I would like to be more settled. So I, I'm excited by it. I think the struggle for me, and I'm curious to hear your perspective too, is as someone who presents really young, I have a really young face. I'm, you know, like round face. I'm really, I'm like five foot tall. You might look at me and think I'm still in my 20s. That's been a struggle for me, particularly in the business setting and getting taken seriously. I'm often overlooked and undervalued people don't just don't take me as seriously in those settings and that can be really frustrating and that's when I'm like oh I need to like bust out the makeup a smoky eye and like doing something like changing my entire outfit to look my age whatever that means and I loved your on your Instagram bio I think you say I'm a 30 what is it's like it's like a, a 30, teen heart a teen figuring heart out in life 30. in a 30-something body. And that's like exactly me because I also gravitate towards things that might be like, quote, childish sometimes. Like I really love to indulge in like Disney movies sometimes when I'm when I want that like source of comfort or what have you. So 30 is weird because the outside world wants you to look and behave a certain way but when you don't it can be a detractor yeah in certain contexts well, I think that's beautiful to be in touch with you know that child inside of you or like the teenager inside I feel like I have definitely a teenager inside of me <laughs> because I can be really angsty and moody and really like passionate about things and then mm-hmm. I think also the beauty of being a teenager is you still have so much of that childlike wonder inside of you and so much imagination and I feel like it's a beautiful thing to be that. in touch with that part of yourself and watch yeah. the Disney movies and let yourself <laughs> like really indulge in these things because I think the more dangerous thing is to deny ourselves those things that actually don't take up that much time like a Disney movie watching like an hour and a half Mm -hmm. versus like (laughs) suppressing it and forcing ourselves to try and fit in this mold like that hour and a half of authentic expression and joy serves us so much more than repression and trying to like fit this outer expectation yeah I feel like oh I agree that's been like the thing for me like when I think about my overall wellness like I think about my physical health my mental and emotional health my spiritual health Mm -hmm. my relationships my community and there was always like one thing missing Mm -hmm. and so I've added this last pillar which is little Ingrid (gasps) I love this. So I want to hear more. Like I have a pillar that's (laughs) just dedicated to playing and taking care of little Ingrid. So playing with her, taking care of her, nurturing her, basically like listening to that kid who is very much alive inside of me and giving her what she wants. I love that. Um, What's an example of that that you've done recently? Recently, I'd say in the last couple months, the first thing that comes to mind is I really wanted to play with (gasps) Play-Doh. 
Oh my god! And so I played with Play-Doh. <laughs> I love that. That's so yeah. like soothing. Yeah. I love that. And I didn't do anything particularly special with it, but just like immersing myself in the sensory experience, like the smell of Play-Doh. Yes. It, it made me feel like a kid again. Yes. The texture of it, mushing it together. Yeah. And then there are other things where it's not necessarily something that I would have wanted to do as a kid, but I'm sensing it coming from that kid inside of me. Mm-hmm. So I really love New York City history, and I think that is a reflection of my curiosity mm-hmm. as a kid. And so when I'm like, oh, I really want to go to the New York City Transit Museum, like that's something I want to do. I, I let that. myself do that. I might so. steal that. I love that. You Little should. Ingrid. I like so that. It adds whimsy to life, yeah. which I think that our broader culture tells us as adults we can't have and you can't be taken seriously. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we're missing that sense of play yeah. as adults. And I definitely want to tap back into that for sure. And part of why I'm excited to become a parent one day is so that I can also like play with my kid and like tap back into that childlike wonder that you were you were talking about. So yeah, yeah. it's really special. So I want to know what's a non-negotiable for you in your work life and what's a non-negotiable for you in your personal life? Because I'm always thinking about mine. Oh, that's a really good question. I Work life is a little bit easier, so I'll start with that. A non-negotiable for me in my work life that I've learned actually over the past few years of running GNI is having that clear work-life boundary and setting clear rules for myself and the team around that. So one very practical thing is I don't send emails after 6 p.m. and I don't expect my team to to send emails after 6 p.m. or on the weekends. And if I have to, I'll schedule it to boomerang the following morning or like the next week. I think protecting again, like this goes back to protecting my time and that being self-care is so key for me and everything and I hope to create that example for our team as well. A second work thing that's non-negotiable for me is taking time off. Taking a real vacation where I'm not on my laptop. Last year I did this like I went on a vacation for six days. I didn't take my laptop at all. I deleted Slack. I deleted my Gmail app and it was so freeing. And I think everyone deserves time to just completely disconnect. In my personal life, I don't know if this counts, but financial independence, again, is really important to me and maintaining that is really important as a non-negotiable. So entering into a marriage and like the wedding planning process, that has been an interesting area of my life where that's come up. A non-negotiable for me was to evenly split everything regarding wedding costs. And I I think that hopefully will set a really good example for me and my fiance's future life and how we view ourselves, our worth, and what we can bring to the table. Yeah, I yeah. think that's huge. And I think that is so important that you guys are like having that conversation. Oh, too. yes. A lot of conver- good conversations. Yeah, that. it's scary to step into that space. But once you do, you're like, oh, I feel so much more informed and empowered to take intentional action in my life. Exactly. Yeah, getting married and having that life transition will bring up a lot of interesting 
conversations that can be uncomfortable but are good to examine even for myself even for like the small things like am I going to change my last name there's so much context around that and external pressures whether for or against and I'm still figuring that out myself. Do I want to? Like, it's such an important part of my identity. There's a lot of good good stuff, good self-work that happens yeah. at this stage. Oh, my gosh. I know. And people have, especially when you get married or if you decide to have children or not have children, people have opinions about all of it. Oh, 100%. I just listened to another podcast with Claire. Do you know Claire and Erica from Of A Kind? No, I don't. They they had a good conversation because they're business partners and one of them decided to have a, a child and one of them has always been like, no, that's not for me. I don't need that in my life. And they had a good conversation around how they came to those decisions and how it affected their business relationship. But that it's a huge decision. It is. Yeah. So we have a lot of listeners who are either on a creative path or they're thinking about stepping onto a creative or non-traditional path. So what Mm -hmm. is a step that you would advise people to take today to either get them on the path that they want to be on? And then also if they're on the path, like, What is something that can motivate them to keep going? Great question. So I used to work in tech with a product background. And in tech, there's this concept of agile development or like lean development, which basically means put out your MVP or like minimum viable product, get feedback as soon as possible and iterate and iterate. I think as a creative, most likely you're somewhat of a perfectionist and you want to put out the absolute perfect thing. But I think the important thing is to get something out there. It doesn't have to be perfect. Get feedback from people you trust, people whose opinions you trust and take those learnings, iterate on it and do it again and again and again. And that is how the Girls Night In newsletter started. I didn't start it with like, oh, I needed to be absolutely perfect. There were typos in there and things that were in that first issue that are no longer in that because I was able to respond to feedback. So it's a really great process of listening and responding and listening and responding. And it doesn't have to be this like big bang launch or like a perfectly packaged tied in a ribbon thing that you create. I think that's a great, like a beautiful part of the creative process, actually. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. And I think it's perfect advice, whether you're someone who is like thinking about starting this path or you're already on the path because it can feel so intimidating, especially when we're looking at models who are often masters Mm -hmm. and have been doing what they're doing for sometimes decades. And then we're comparing ourselves to them and not recognizing that at some point they were also in the same position that we were in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I forget that all the time. And so I love that advice of just, you know, put something out there and then let the process take you put something out there it doesn't have to be perfect I also think leaning on and building a community around you is really important for me personally I would not have 
taken GNI as seriously had it not been one particular advisor that I have in my life who I met at a previous job. So my other piece of advice would be to just like reflect, you know, is there a boss that you really enjoyed at a prior job or like a current role that you're in who would be a sponsor and would be really excited? Because it can take just one conversation to either encourage you to keep going or they might know somebody who might know somebody you just never know so lean on others like you don't have to do it alone I love that such good advice yeah okay so last step we love talking about small victories here on one step so what (laughs) is a small victory for you in the last week a small victory for me in the last week has been actually coming to New York and taking a lot of meetings where I have had to be on and had to break out of my introvert shell. Honestly, when I was planning this trip, I didn't think I could do it. I was like, oh, I'm going to probably end up canceling this, this, and this because I just can't do it. But I did it and I'm really proud of myself for powering through. And I think it's a good learning for me in terms of what I'm capable of for next time. Well, I'm so happy you're here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So where can people find you online and where can they find Girls Night In? Uh, You can find me on Instagram at Alicia Ramos. And you can follow Girls Night In also on Instagram at Girls Night In Club and sign up for our newsletter at girlsnightin.co. It's a great newsletter. So definitely check it out. I just want to say thank you to Alicia again for being here. This was such a great conversation and I really loved hearing about her journey and her self-care tips. If you want to learn more about Girls Night In, you can go to girlsnightin.co. Now, if you'd like to share your thoughts, you can email us a voice note at onesteppodcast at gmail.com. So the way that you do this is you can use the Voice Memos app or the Voice Record app to send us a voice note. And we'll be sharing those here on the podcast. That is honestly one of our favorite things. But you can also just send us an old-fashioned email as well, too. And we're also available on Instagram. We're in all the places. We're very available on the internet. If you enjoyed listening, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and tell a friend who would like it too. You can find One Step on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at One Step Podcast to stay up to date. We have a lot of fun stuff coming up on Instagram. Last but certainly not least, thank you to our producer, Christina Cleveland, our sound engineer and editor, Tung Chen, and our studio, the YouTube space in New York City. Take care, everyone. We will talk soon.